Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Father, we are yours. We are disciples in this generation, and we ask you to disciple us today. May the word of God open to every one of us. Start with me. Lord, open our hearts. We, Jesus, we want to look at you. You are our rabbi. You are our master. You are our teacher. We want to hear from you. We want you to instruct us, correct us, strengthen us. We want, Lord, to become like you in this generation. We would be Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We would be these, these, these early Christians today in 2016. Come, Lord, fill us, teach us, strengthen us this day, and we will walk our walk with you. We will be your disciples in Jesus' powerful name. If you agree with that, would you say amen? Amen. amen. All right. We're in John chapter 8. Somebody counted, and... Um, I think this is the, my 50th sermon in John. Now, I, I had to stop when they told me that. I thought, is that all right? I mean, can you do that? Um, and it, well, yeah, you're st- well, that's the point. You're still here. And you've got to know, I do know I'm pressing the boundaries. Don't, don't think for a second I don't know what I'm doing. And, and I, I push you as far as I think I can. I mean, I do. I'm just, I'm just getting as much Bible crammed into your brains as I <laughs> You know why? I don't know what's in the future. But I, but I know that you and I have to have the Word of God in us. There's two things the body of Christ needs. If, if, if the bride of Christ, the bride of Christ has to take bread and wine. Even as we're going to have communion uh, after, after this. Uh, I think of the bread as the Word of God. And the wine is the wine of the Spirit that we break into as we worship into the Lord's presence. The immediate real presence of God. I need bread and I need wine. When the bride is fed bread and wine, she gets strong and she begins to minister and be fruitful. When she does not have bread and wine, she begins to, to starve and she begins to get weak. So there's just two things really today. Is in, 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 we do all sorts of things, but we worship into his presence and we hear the word. Amen. And you and I get strong. We become disciples. We become fruitful. And so... You know, I think about skipping through, you know, if you skip through John, it's like a, it's like a dense mathematic book. It's, it's so complex. You can, you can leap over these things, but I don't know what they mean either. I mean, I'm looking at them going, what is that? And, and, and so I just have to inch my way along saying, Holy Spirit, show me this. What does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? And he does. And so inch by inch... For, Every few verses, I know a little more, and I teach you. But I think to myself, how many times have I read John and not had a clue about half of what I read? Uh, I mean, I, I can see the woman at the well, yay! Now, you know, uh, but when it's all of this, when he says things like this, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. What is that? What does all that mean? Today, we'll see. Father, open our hearts. Feed us. Strengthen us. We would be strong. We would be victorious. In this generation, we would see many souls. We would be a fruitful branch. Come, Lord, and use your word to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And we're in the fall season. 
six months from now, he will, he will be crucified. Uh, so we're in the fall of that year. He ha we have just gone through, we've seen the Feast of Booths. They build those little booths and do all of that. We've seen that wonderful week. And then we saw uh, Simchat Torah, the, the day where they honor the, the law of God, the giving of the law. On the eighth day, uh, we, saw, we saw Jesus speak on that day, uh, say, I'm the light of the world. Now, this is the following day, and he's having a debate in that same court of the women, that, that first big court just before you go into the very temple itself. He's having this dialogue. And uh, with the Pharisees and with the religious leaders. And they're, they're really going after him. And this is what he says to them. So they were saying to him, verse 25, chapter 8, verse 25. Who are you? And Jesus said to them, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to speak and judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true. And the things which I heard from him... These I speak to the world. They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. Would you say that? When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. Say, let's say that. I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. Would you say many? many. Remember this. We are in a totally Jewish environment. We are in the temple. We have Pharisees, which would be your ultra-Orthodox. We have, we have re the religious leaders from the temple in this dialogue with them. And in all of this, many of them believed in him. In case you wonder how Jewish this is. In case you wonder, is, is what Jesus is saying just crazy? Well, then what are all of these, what are all of these rabbis and, and people? Why are they believing? Because it does make sense. It makes total biblical sense. And these are men, uh, and uh, well, women, of course, they're families, but these are men in this case who, who know the word of God. Here we go, louder than words. When people speak about witnessing for God, they usually mean talking about him. We think of a witness as someone who boldly declares their faith, and telling others what we believe is certainly an important element in witnessing. But words alone are never enough. People watch what we do far more closely than they listen to what we say. And there is one quality above all they observe. It's not how confident we are or how successful we are or how healthy we are. Let me stop there. Don't you often think, I have no witness. What can I say? I'm, 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 I'm poor or I'm injured or I've had... I've had got a troubled life. I'm a timid person. I have nothing to say to anybody. Who's going to listen to someone like me? They need somebody who's healthy and strong and, and bold. And I mean, there's a few of those, you know, they, that's who should witness. Not so. Not so at all. It is not how confident we are. It is not how successful we are. It is not even how healthy we are. It's how selfless we are. Do we put ourselves or others first? I mean, think about it. Do you know people who are very selfless, who, who are truly not selfish, 
who are kind and generous, who, who show Christ like that, and you know, you, you look at them and you think, that's what a real Christian looks like. Yes? Yeah. That's what the world sees too. Unbelievers see the same thing. They look for that. They don't listen to what we say. They watch what we do. And that's the quality they look for. So you can be in all kinds of conditions, but it's your heart that matters. Each, uh, it, how Do we put ourselves or others first? Each of us answers that question every day by the choices we make. From big decisions down to the smallest, most subtle decisions, we all make choices that expose the deepest, most fundamental attitude in our heart. Who do I love the most? It shows in how I spend my money. It shows in how I drive my car. It shows in how I spend my free time. It shows in how I dress. It shows in the way I listen and in the way I speak. It shows in how I treat the children or elderly or the disabled or the poor. In fact, it shows in almost everything I do. The problem many of us face is that it is very difficult to admit to ourselves that a choice we made was selfish. So we defend it by explaining it to ourselves and others that circumstances forced us to uh, choose the way we did. We didn't want to make that choice. In another situation, we would have made this selfless choice. But in this case, we had no option. In fact, we really did what we did to benefit someone else. I didn't really do that. I did it for the kids. <laughs> oh, I go along. I know in the process, but I did it for them or I did it for someone else. I'm pointing this out because we are, we are, we are quite honest about other people. We will evaluate, evaluate your life with real precision. But when it comes to ours, we have explanations for why we do what we do. And they're very good ones. They're very good explanations. I mean, uh, yes, of course, I would have done the selfless thing here, but, but circumstances are such. I mean, you have to understand. We're very, we, we do that with ourselves. All of us do this. It's kind of a, we have to convince ourselves somehow that what we did was, uh, was uh, selfless and right. Uh, but but the, the others who are watching us, what do they see? They see a pattern. They see a pattern, not just even that one thing. They see a whole pattern of every time it push comes to shove, you choose for you. You put your needs ahead of mine. It's always you. And there's always a reason. But the pattern is, it's all about you. I can see that. We can't hide that pattern. It's just after a while, it's just there. It's, it's, it's our track record. The problem is we may fool ourselves with such talk. But we don't fool those who watch us. They simply observe our choices, especially the little decisions we're not even aware we make. You know, I, I, this comes to mind. My, my wife, um, one of the things we, she makes is tapioca pudding. I don't know what you think of it, but I like it very much. Yeah, and she makes it good. And we, anyway, we'll have a little bowl of tapioca pudding before we go to bed. You know, so we're watching something, maybe the news or whatever. And, and I go in the kitchen, and I get the thing out, and I'm serving up this tapioca pudding. You know, you can never, without a scale, get them exactly the same. <laughs> you, 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 try, you know what I'm saying. You try, and you think, about right. But to my eye, one of them always looks just maybe a little bit bigger, right? So here's the moment. Here. 
Come on, am I the only one doing this? Don't you know what I'm talking about? Do I give you the bigger one? Or do I... And, the, and I have to think about it. Every night. Hope you enjoy that. <laughs> what is that? It's, it's fundamental selfishness. It's, it's woven in our, in our fabric. It's in our DNA. It, if I, have, I have to make those choices. It's the little things. It's the little patch things. <laughs> you can't, it's not just these big deals. Either I tend to put me first or you first. And that, that habit can't be hidden. But why would it matter if I'm selfish or selfless? Why would someone study my choices before they listen to what I say? I think every human being intuitively knows the answer. We often say it this way. Say it with me. Actions speak louder than words. Yes, they do. I want to take you back through that passage. I want you to see why I get that. Jesus warned this group that unless, and by, by this group, it's the, again, the Pharisees, what we would call ultra-Orthodox today. Uh, it is the, um, it is the uh, temple leaders and all. He warned this group that unless they believed in him, they would die in his, their sins. And now we hear the response. They asked, who are you? And given all Jesus has said about himself, this cannot be a sincere question. They must have been attempting to lure him into saying something they could consider to be blasphemous. He replied by asking them to recall all that he had already said about himself. From the very beginning of his ministry, he had never hidden his identity. So in effect, he said, I am not going to answer that question again. You already know my answer. It hasn't changed. And then he added, I have many things to say and judge about you. These religious leaders had been constantly examining his words and deeds and finding fault with him. And if he had chosen to do so, he, Jesus said he could have easily found fault with them as well. He could have devoted much of his preaching to exposing their hypocrisy. None of them were able to live up to the standards they themselves preached. But the father had not sent him to criticize people. He'd sent him to proclaim a positive message. He'd sent him to speak the things he heard the father say. He'd heard him offer, sent, he'd sent him to offer salvation. Why? Because the father who sent me is true. Did you notice him say that? He says, uh, he says, For I have many things to speak concert, to, and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true. Say that. He who sent me is true. What, what does that mean? Let's, let's look at this. This is very important. In the context of this debate between Jesus and these Jewish leaders, Jesus' statement that the Father is true does not primarily mean that the Father's words are accurate or genuine. That's what Greeks would mean by the word true. But saying that the one who sent him is true, Jesus means that the Father was being true to his covenant with Israel. He has not forgotten his promise to be merciful and rescue them, which is why the things he instructs his son to say are primarily about salvation, not criticism. However, on occasion, it was necessary for Jesus to address the hypocrisy of his critics because they were trying to persuade people to reject him. True 
in a, in a Greek world, a philosophical world, I, I suppose in our world, if you say that's true, it means it's, it's genuine, it's authentic. But in this case, true means something else. The, 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 the word actually, uh, the Greek word, aletheia, means the, the ah on the front is a negative, just like it is on atheist or something for us. Aletheia, alethos, not forgotten. Well, what is it that God has not forgotten? He has not forgotten his promise to love them. So because God is true to his promise, true to his covenant, has not forgotten what he promised, therefore, I have a lot of things I could criticize about you. But because he has not forgotten his commitment to save you, he has not forgotten his commitment to be merciful to you, he has sent me to speak salvation to you. Did you hear this? Isn't that profound? It says something to us too, doesn't it? God really doesn't send us to tell us everybody what's wrong with him. He has sent us to announce that he has not forgotten his love for them. He has not forgotten his desire to save them. Um, it's very profound what Jesus just said. John's statement here, verse 27, they did not realize he'd been speaking to them about the Father. John's statement here can be confusing. He literally says these men did not know Jesus spoke to them of the Father. It, it seems impossible to think they didn't know he was speaking to them about God or he was saying God had sent him. It's far more likely this statement means these opponents refused to acknowledge that the Father was the source of the things Jesus said. In other words, they knew he claimed to speak the Father's words, but they didn't really know it. They didn't believe he came from heaven. They didn't believe his words were from God. To them, he was an imposter promoting himself. Jesus knew they distrusted his motives. They thought he was an ambitious man who was trying to promote himself. But he also knew he was going to do something in the near future that would shatter those false assumptions. Some of these men would be among those who would arrange to have him crucified. I mean, some of the guys talking to him right now will be part of the whole arrangement to crucify Jesus. They would arrest him on the Mount of Olives and drag him before their religious courts. He would not respond the way an ambitious man would respond. Let me stop there a second. Do you see what the issue is? They think he's like them. They think he's ambitious. They think he's using, now they got to admit, the guy's got power. I don't know where it comes from. They, like to want, they want to say it's from the devil. He's trying to push in and take over. He's trying to take our stuff. He's going he's to replace us if we let this happen. You see, to them it's a power struggle. Why? Because everything in their world is a power struggle. Because they're struggling for power. Don't we often project our character on other people? And so when they look out, when selfish, ambitious, religious men look out, they think he's selfish, ambitious, and religious, just like us. He's just another one of us doing it in a different way. And so they think of his heart like this. And Jesus says, now I know you don't believe that what I'm saying is from God. But now he's going to give them in the next verse. He's going to tell you, I'm going to give you a proof that will prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that everything I'm saying is from God. They, he would not try to defend himself or beg for mercy. They would insult him and hit him, but he would not fight back. They would hand him over to the Romans to be executed, but he would not curse them or rail against God. Instead, he would respond exactly the way Isaiah said he would. He was, why don't you read this? He was oppressed 
and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before his shearers, so he did not open his mouth. He says, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that the words I've spoken to you are from the Father. When you crucify me, when you hit me in the face, when you spit on me, when you tear my beard, when you curse me and mock me, you watch the way I respond. Nobody, when you're crucifying somebody, you find out what's inside. Don't you? When you crucify somebody, you find out what's inside and say, when you crucify me, you're going to know what's inside. You're going to know my heart. It's going to show loud and clear. Jesus told these men that something was going to happen that would change their minds about him. He said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. And again, he, said, he didn't add a he. You will know that ego me, I am. And I do nothing from myself. But just as the Father taught me, these things I speak. In other words, no self-promoting, ambitious man would willingly permit himself to be treated the way you will treat me. My complete surrender to the will of the Father is going to become indisputably clear when I am crucified. My true motive will be exposed beyond the shadow of a doubt. One more. Crucifixion would prove his complete surrender to the Father, but it would also reveal the Father's complete approval of him. Though many in Israel would initially believe that the shameful way he was executed proved that the Father rejected him, his resurrection on the third day would prove otherwise. By raising Jesus from the dead, the Father vindicated his Son. He declared in the most unmistakable terms that Jesus always did the things that pleased him. So Jesus is literally saying, my actions will speak louder than my words. You don't believe my words. You don't think I'm speaking the words of God. But when I'm crucified, when I show you love in its greatest form, you will know that everything I've said to you has been in the same submitted heart that I have done nothing but bring to you the Father. For at least a year, final proof, and a half, Jesus has been telling these religious leaders that the words he was speaking to them were sent from God. But many didn't believe him. They thought he was just like them, selfish. They assumed he was an ambitious religious zealot who was trying to maneuver his way into power, their power. And not even the miracles he was doing could convince them otherwise. His words were brilliant, and in a debate, in a debate, a debate they couldn't match his logic. He shamed them every time they tried. But his brilliance and the beauty of his words didn't change their minds about him either. Losing arguments to him only frustrated them and made them more determined to kill him. There's a lesson in that. The answer. They asked him, who are you? But rather than rehearse statements about himself that he'd already made, he pointed to an event in the future and said that when that event took place, they would know the answer to their question. Their actions would speak so loudly, they would have to, they would have to listen to his words. He said, did I say their actions? His actions, forgive me. His actions would speak so loudly that they would have to listen to his words. He said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and do nothing from myself. But as the Father taught me, these things I speak. In other words, when you watch how I respond when you attack me, what I do and say when I'm dying on the cross, 
The deepest motives of my heart will be exposed. No one can, hate, can hide who they are when they're being crucified. The, that moment will prove my absolute submission to the Father and my love for you. In the most selfless way possible, I will put your needs ahead of my own. Then you will look back and realize that I always submitted to the Father and spoke only the words he gave me to speak. But that statement, by that statement, Jesus taught us how to witness for God. The greatest miracle. There is simply no miracle more profound than the transformation of the human heart. Humans by nature are selfish, all of us. And when one of us suddenly isn't selfish anymore, that dramatic change proves the reality of God more than all the words we say. Why? Because those of us who have tried to rid ourselves of that selfish impulse found we couldn't. It was too deeply rooted. Or if we tried to change someone else, sooner or later we discovered we had set ourselves to a hopeless task. God alone can change the human heart. Would you say that? God alone can change the human heart. And when he does, it is a real change. Why don't we say that? When he does, it is a real change. That's not to say that the person becomes perfect and never again wrestles with selfishness or handing his wife the smaller tapioca. <laughs> but the pattern of their choices changes. He or she does or says things they would not have done or said before. And the best proofs are the selfless things they don't even realize they do. Where do I start? If selfless love is the key to being an effective, an effective witness, and if even Jesus said his actions would speak louder than his words, then how do I learn to love selflessly? As we've seen, it's not something I, as a human, can simply choose to do whenever I want. So where do I start? I start by recognizing I'm not the source of love. God is. When Jesus answered his critics, he didn't point to his love for them. Did you notice? He said, this is the way you're going to know I'm telling that my words are from the Father. Not, I love you. He doesn't talk about himself. He says what, he says what you're going to know, the way you're going to know it, is you're going to watch me submit to the Father totally. And you'll know that everything I've done is submitted. You'll watch my submission, not my love. Listen to his answer again carefully. carefully. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I do nothing for myself. Of course, Jesus went to the cross because he loved us. But when addressing his critics, when asking them to believe his words, he didn't say his love was the source. He said he was the messenger. He faithfully pointed to someone else's love. This too is a key to witnessing. If we focus on submitting to God rather than trying to love people, we will find ourselves loving people. Now that is really good. Every, you know, there's always one in there. If we, did you hear it? If we focus on submitting to God, Rather than trying to love people, we will find ourselves loving people. When we obey him, he constantly leads us to put the needs of others ahead of our own. And a pattern of selflessness emerges naturally. Notice, we do not find the kind, the kind of love for others that we need inside ourselves. However, by our obedience, a miracle is released. In time, 
Selfless choices surprisingly produce genuine selflessness. As we continue to do for others that which is loving, our selfishness is melted by the warmth of God's love being poured out through us. Are you following this? By doing it, by obeying him, by letting his love pour through me for you, in spite of what I would have chosen for myself, I obey him and I do the loving thing. I began to be changed by the very process. What began as an outward obedience becomes our inward reality. He is making us like Jesus. I, years ago, there was a, a, a Lutheran, a charismatic Lutheran leader named Larry Christensen. And um, he actually went to the same college I did, and I got the chance to, as a, per, a person at the college, invite him to come and speak at our college. And, and he, was a, he was a great man. He's passed away. But I rem I'll never forget this illustration. I think it was in a marriage series he did. And he was saying, how do I love somebody? How do I get, how do, where do I get that to start, this love? He said, when I don't feel it. I'm, and in this case, I think he was talking about husbands and wives. You know, how do I love my spouse if the love has gone dry? What, what, what do I do? And he said, I'm, he said, right now, he said, I'm building on the back of my house uh, some steps. Now we're, we're doing some repair. And he said, there's, uh, there's steps coming right out of the kitchen into the backyard. And he said, the first thing I had to do was build wooden forms. I built the wooden forms, and then you know, the, the, the cement is mixed and poured into the wooden forms. And he said, Our, with, with God, it's like that. If I will build the wooden form, he will pour in the substance. If I will do what love would do, though I don't feel it, God will pour in the love. This is profound. This is profound. Now, hypocrisy, you know, you say, well, I, don't I have to feel it? Well, haven't you noticed the feeling doesn't come? If, if you wait for the feeling, it doesn't come, does it? You just get harder. This is where... I, I, I do what I see the Father do. So when the Father shows me some kind of act in a, in a marriage, in any situation with people, you see, and I do what's loving, I serve in this case, I give you the bigger bowl, I, I, I begin to think, what would you like? And I do things for you, even though I'm not feeling it right now. My heart's cold. I do the loving thing. The, the strange thing is, in it, there's an anointing. When I obey like that, the anointing of God comes. And my heart is warmed by the very activity. Suddenly, I find myself, as time goes on, feeling the very things I'm doing. They come now from my heart, not just my obedience. Does this make sense? The obedience leads to the transformation of the heart when it's done in faith. This is a faith walk. This isn't hypocrisy. This isn't faking. This isn't trying to deceive somebody. This is doing before the Lord what he would have me do. And trust that he will supply the substance within me. What if? What if we, we, we might think more people would believe in Jesus if we had more power? 
And by power, we mean more signs and wonders. Haven't we thought that? Don't we, don't we think, you know, if the church could just have the power of the New Testament and people getting healed and falling all over the place, yeah, you know, we'd have revival. I, I, I came to the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit in a, in a charismatic group in 1961. I have been around the block. And I love the power of God. I love healing. However... I have learned that power won't bring real revival. It'll grow a group for a while. It'll cause an event. But it's kind of a kaboof. And I've watched it for years and years. Kaboom. It is what it is. It's power. Why? Because that's not the miracle people look for. The, the, the miracle that people really look for is the changed heart. They watch to see, are we different? In what way? Are we selfless? Are we kind? Or are we the same selfish jerk we were before him? Forgive the worm. Yeah. So power isn't it. Or if we had better arguments to refute atheism and false religions. In other words, we could just argue better and philosophize better and write some better books. The whole world would, would believe. No, you just make them mad. They write their own books. Or if we were more culturally relevant. Now, I think this could be part of the answer. If I got a tattoo and an earring, maybe, and skinny jeans. <laughs> if, if you just kind of got with it, you know. There are guys my age that wear those things. Yeah, 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 they do look, yes. So you can see we'd have a revival right there. You would, you, would, you would have a crowd for a week or two. Or if we were better organized. Or fill in the blank. And there are, these are all good things. Not the skinny jeans, but I think the world is waiting for something else. I think they're waiting for people who aren't selfish. People who actually love others selflessly. People who, by the pattern of their choices, prove that God can set people free from selfishness. And I see this over and over again. This simple thing, this simple act of love of putting your needs ahead of my own needs is a powerful, powerful witness. Take, take, take our camps. Take the Royal Family Kids Camp. One of the, one of the things that happens with, in, every, in the course of the week, so often with the young these children, these children are coming out of abused homes. They, they've been um, in all kinds of state programs and stuff often. And so they come out to this camp, and somewhere along the line, that child will often ask their counselor, what do they pay you to do this? And when the counselor answers and says, well, they don't pay me anything, honey. Um, actually, I'm taking a week of vacation to do this. The child is stunned. And at that point, begins to really be interested in what that counselor has to say. Why? Do you mean to tell me you would sacrifice something and give up something and put my needs ahead of yours? Now I want to hear what you have to say. Uh, that just happened. It just happened at the summer mission. This often happens. We end up on television. 
at times in the summer missions. We end up, we end up almost always with somebody's newspaper article uh, where they write us up and everything else. We never ask, seek it. We never ask anything. It's, it's, it's a stir in the community. What are these people doing? Who are they? And, and they come out and they say, you know, what do they pay you to do this? Oh, no, nobody's paying us anything. We took a week off of vacation and, and, and we're here to serve your city because we love your city and we love your church. You do what? And, and we get newspaper. It just happened down in Lakewood this, this past time. Neighbors are coming out going, who are you? What are you doing here? Why are you doing this? And then, and then they get excited. And then we've already had them say, oh, hey, we're coming Sunday. We want to see what's going on. What is it they're excited about? Are there really people? Not who just say all this Jesus stuff. Aren't, aren't, the world is so tired of hearing us talk about Jesus. I mean, there's those who've never heard. We need to tell them. But our words are blah, blah, blah. All this Jesus. They're tired of it. They want to see, do you have a new heart? Because I'm so sick of my own selfish heart, I could just die. And do you have the miracle I'm looking for? Can you take this mean, angry, grumpy, selfish individual and could you free me from that garbage? Because if you do, I am so interested in what you have to say. But if it's just your religion for my atheism or whatever else, I am really not interested. Do your thing. If, you're this, if it's just you being religious, I don't really want it. Why would they? Why would they? It isn't it isn't a philosophical issue. It's a hard issue. Everybody knows there's a God. Everybody does. They're just not sure he likes them or has any power to help. That's the question. These are all good things. I think they're waiting for people who aren't selfish, people who actually love others. Believe it or not, being selfish is miserable. We end up angry and alone. And many people can sense those things happening to them. And they want the selfishness to stop. And probably have tried to stop it. But have discovered they can't. Sadly, in the midst of the struggle, they may have watched Christians to see if we had the answer. But saw no difference. What they saw were people with religious beliefs, yet whose hearts were just as selfish as theirs. We provided no hope for relief. Nothing about us demonstrated that God can change the human heart. What if? What if the church of Jesus Christ had simply conducted itself differently? Think about this. Instead of sending armies from Europe during the 1200s and all uh, to the Middle East to take back land, we had sent missionaries to reach people. How would the history of the world been different? Do you know one of the reasons we, we talk about, you know, the, the um, Islam, that religion was formed among the Arab people. And I would just heard this when I was in Israel this last time. It just broke my heart. It said that the Christians did not reach out to the Arabs. They didn't care about them. What? What? We all know what that is. You did what? We ignored them. So they came up with their own. How would the world's history have been different if we said, let's go wash some feet? 
Let's go love them. These horrible choices is is what's just made the mess we have right now. We can't fix the history. You and I can fix us. We can fix us. And what us is, we can choose to to, to, to do that which is loving and let God do a miracle in our hearts. We can choose to become servants. Isn't this, what, isn't this the heart of what Jesus has said? He who is greatest among you will be servant of all. He washed their feet with a towel. It's coming up here in the Gospel of John. And he says, I want you to be like me. This is what I want you to do. And he says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. That you love one another, each other and them. It's your love that will show it. Not your clear doctrine, not your brilliant arguments, not your power even. It's your love. And it really is. But there are such Christians, I have to say this. There are such Christians, and I mean the ones with the selfless, loving hearts, with, with changed hearts, and always have been. There are just not enough of them. So the challenge Jesus places it before us today is will we, if we have not already, and I've had to put that in because I, this church has hundreds of people who do this. I, it's an honor to pastor this congregation, and there are servants who, who just I, I, who make me cry to watch what you do. So this is not some blanket uh, uh, thing. This is the, the na- na- teaching of the word. Who, or have not already, who, and if we have not already joined that number, What if we chose to fully submit to the Father and our Lord Jesus? What if we chose out of obedience to do that which is loving, even if we didn't feel loving yet? What if we decided to put others' needs ahead of our own? And what what if we kept on doing that for a long time? What might happen? I think there would be many people who would begin to believe what we say about Jesus is true. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.